1: Right now on Fast, the S&P could drop another 20% from here. That's what J.P. Morgan's CEO Jamie Dimon is saying, and he adds that the next 20 will be much more painful than the first 20. Why Jamie is so bearish and what the traders think of his latest storm warning. Plus, auto stocks hitting the skids, GM and Ford falling after analysts say... Uh, that we are just a few months away from an actual auto glut. How did we go from three years of unprecedented pricing and margin power to oversupply and just a flash? And later, so much for safe havens, gold not exactly glittering, crypto crumbling and bond funds this year. Some well-known ones have performed even worse than the S&P 500. So where can investors hide in this rough and tumble market? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site. On the desk tonight, Courtney Garcia, Karen Feynman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with another big warning from the CEO of the country's biggest bank, Jamie Dimon, sitting down with CNBC Europe's Juliana Tattlebaum with this forecast on how much farther the S&P 500 could fall.
0: It may have a ways to go. I mean, it, it really depends on that soft landing, hard landing thing. And since I don't know the answer to that, it's hard for me to answer that. But it, it, could, it could be another easy 20%. And uh, I, you know, I think like the next twenty percent will be much more painful than the first. Rates going up another hundred basis points are a lot more painful than the first hundred, because people aren't used to it. And you know, um, and I think negative rates, when all is said and done, will will be a com- have been a complete
2: failure.
1: Another twenty percent, easy from here. That implies the S&P 500 below 2,900, a level it has not seen since the depths of the pandemic. Diamond also warning that the U.S. could fall into recession in six to nine months, saying the Fed, quote, waited too long and did too little stocks already trading near two-year lows, the S&P getting within four points of its worst level since October 2020, the Dow nearly falling back below 29,000, the Nasdaq posting its lowest close since July 2020. And take a look at the TLT, the ultra-long bond fund meant to help hedge against market volatility. It's at its lowest since 2011. So if Diamond is right, we're just halfway through this (laughs) sell-off. What do you do now besides go into the bunker, Dan Nathan?
3: Well, listen, I, I think you want to listen to Jamie Dimon. I mean, he has no reason to really opine on the stock market. And I think the last bit of what he said about the, the next 1% in the Fed funds is going to be the one that I think a lot of companies, a lot of individual investors, a lot of savers, whatever, you know, well, savers to do just okay as long as you don't have um, a lot of your risk assets have kind of depleted. You know, the thing is about 20% to the downside on an S&P that's already down 25% is that you know, that would really put us back in where, we, you know, 2000 to the lows in 2002, 2007 to lows in 2009. The S&P 500 sold off 50%. We had deep recessions in both of those time periods. And I think the timing of which he says we could be in a recession in six to nine months, the stock market's going to anticipate it. It's going to go there to those levels first. It's going to round trip to that pre-pandemic high. And I think if you think about a multiple, we're talking about this a lot on the show, where does the S&P trough, right, in bear markets? Where does drop during recessions, fourteen or fifteen times. Savita Supermanian at Bank America yeah. just put two hundred dollars in S and P earnings for next year. You do that times fourteen, you get below three thousand. That would be twenty percent lower than here. You love
4: Jamie. Let's I do it with that. Yes. What do you think of his forecast. Well, I'm not sure if it was a forecast. I think it was. Could it? Absolutely. I think it could. Now, well, I he think he didn't I, have
1: to use use the word. Easy twenty percent from here. That's true. The that's true. Is it going to be a lot more painful? Right. He, he really did say he sees a recession. It, right. He
4: does say he sees recession six to nine months out. You know, it does make me wonder. Clearly, he has a very good look into the economy, yeah. right? And so, is he sort of forecast? Is he sort of you know giving us a little heads up for what he's going to report on Friday? Which is a no-no. Which is well, it if is he tells everyone year. at the same time, oh, I so. then I guess that's okay. But. Um, I think that's, it's not so much about what the earnings are this quarter. It's really about his outlook and really about where he sees the economy. So, you know, this isn't delightful. Um, I do think, though, that if we were in a recession six or nine months from now, I think we would bottom well before economic data bottoms. Right.
5: Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I don't know if this is necessarily a necessary prediction. This all prefaced with if there's a soft landing or a hard landing, right? So if we're in a hard landing, yes, there is that, that possibility of a 20% downside. But I also heard him say in here is talking about the consumer's health uh, balance sheet and how it is still really healthy. And I do think that's going to be interesting when we see the banks reporting here is we have seen the consumers have been able to withstand all the inflation so far. And that's really what's keeping the economy going. That could maybe lead to some surprises, the upside on earnings. So um, this is more forward-looking, but currently, if people are still withholding this, and if the economy can stay strong, it's not a definitive possibility, but I'm more interested in what this means for the banks who are reporting at the end of the week.
1: Yeah, the consumers are strong right now. They've got the cash, et cetera, et cetera guy, um, but they haven't gotten 100 basis points yet to come in tightening, which they will probably get uh, before not too long from now. Um, so, it, And they haven't felt the full effects at all of any of the rate cuts that the Fed has made so far. So it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm grateful that the consumer is extra strong right now because we're going into an unprecedented amount of tightening to be felt.
6: Well, I always knew that Jamie watched Fast Money. Now I know that he watches it with the sound on because he's echoing a lot of the things that we've literally been saying. I want to say since November, probably longer than that. You know, The fact that he actually made reference to the fact that You know, they ease for too long and they're late to the day, all those things. He's spot on. And I think, listen, the Fed officials probably realize that as well. And I'm not looking at dogpile on the rabbit here because we've done enough of that. But with that said, I mean, I happen to agree with what he's 2,900 is not ridiculous. We've said 3,400 is probably, uh, you know, that's fair value in this environment. And even if the Fed were to pause, pivot, stop, you know, give different language to try to assuage some concerns, whether we're in a recession or not doesn't matter. And I will tell you, I'm sure it's infuriating to a lot of the audience out there that we talk about whether we're in one, not in one, because for a lot of people, we've been in it for the better part of a couple of years. With that said, we're absolutely in an earnings recession. And at a certain point, you're not paying as much for earnings as you were a couple of years ago. So what's the right multiple? We've played the game. Dan met, mentioned it. I think Savita put a $200 price target in terms of EPS for the S&P. 15 multiple, and that's 3000 It gets you right to Mr. Diamond's level. So you look at the HYG, I think it was a 15-year low today within a couple points. LQD levels we haven't seen since 08, 09. None of this is particularly good. I will say this. It is good news that, once again, the VIX is pushing up to 34, because every time we seem to get there, the market seems to short-term bottom. So we'll see how it plays out.
1: I mean, the timing, as Karen had mentioned, is very interesting, given this is the first fitful, big, giant week of earnings, particularly for the bank earnings. Um, And so, Karen, I I wonder, from your standpoint, do you think that the bank stocks, and maybe specifically J.P. Morgan, have actually priced in what Jamie Dimon himself is forecasting?
4: I mean, I haven't seen, you know, I I think it's priced in quite a bit. I Uh think it's priced in, um, well, net interest income I think will be okay. It's priced in not great loan growth, and it's pricing in a disastrous – investment banking, capital markets, um, some capital markets be okay, but, but I mean, the amount of issuance is down so dramatically. So it's pricing in that, even though that's, those are lumpy kind of earnings. And I think it's pricing in some credit erosion that I don't think we're really gonna see yet. So, you know, I've thought this for a while though, and you know, I've been wrong, the stock was much higher, but at this valuation eight times, you know, three dividend, I, I, the stock to trade down every time they report, regardless of how good or bad it is. Right. But right. I'm long, saying long. My, I have a bigger position in Bank of America, but I'm definitely long banks.
5: Yeah, actually, I, I agree here. And I do want to look at the banks as an opportunity. And they are so cheap right now from where they've been. And yes, they have, we, we would have said that a while ago, and they've gotten cheaper. Um, but banks, too, do tend to be those um, companies that go down the hardest as we're going into recession. But also, as things are improving, they also tend to be the ones that improve the most. So if you are of a mindset here that some of this is getting priced in, and I do think we're close to, if not there, on the bank earnings, um, then I do think that this can be an opportunity over the long run. Yeah,
1: it's, it's of course, the guidance. Yeah, And based on what Jamie Dimon said, the guidance probably won't be that great.
3: I think what you, yeah, that's the key. I mean, he's not going to really change his tune. And when you think about what the outlook is for, you know, again, for consumer balance sheets, it seems like that's the thing that everyone keeps kind of, you know, kind of resting on a little bit. But we know, I mean, that's just not going to get that much better here. And we already know if retailers are already starting to think about how accommodative they can be right in front of the holiday season, I think they're really weird. You know, we've seen this now for months, what Target and Walmart have had to say to us about consumers trading down. So that doesn't really speak that well, especially when you're seeing gas prices have been really sticky here. Inflation readings are really hot. I mean, listen, At the end of the day, I mean, I think that the stock market, to your point, is like it will bottom at some point before we have a recession. To Guy's point, we are in an earnings recession. So it's the disconnect between what the markets are doing and what the economy is doing. And if you're trading the markets and you're investing in the markets, focus on the markets. To Guy's point about the VIX at 34. If we get another leg lower back to 3400, the VIX is going to be at 40. What will that tell you? It's going to be a really good time to maybe take off shorts, and a lot of our viewers don't short things or whatever. But then start to add to long, start dollar cost averaging on your way to maybe being down 40 or 50 percent from the highs. That's the only way to do it, because no one's going to ring the bell at the bottom.
1: Yeah. Uh, key Fed officials also speaking out today on recession risks. Our own Steve leesman has got the very latest. Steve.
3: Uh, thanks
0: very much. Mr. Yeah, Fed Governor Lael Brainerd saying today she's expecting only a limited second half rebound and had marked down her forecast to flat growth for this year, the full year. Uh, Also talking about liquidity, Brainerd said liquidity is a little fragile in core markets markets, and the Fed is monitoring it carefully. Chicago Fed President Charlie Evans saying we have to be mindful of market volatility when it comes to rate policy. And Ben Bernanke awarded, of course, the Nobel Prize for Economics today. Speaking to reporters said there are issues when it comes to liquidity out there, but this is not 2008, which was caused by the financial system rather than the financial system being affected by what's been happening. Concern about liquidity and comments from Brainerd that we have hadn't yet seen the full effects of the Fed's tightening, led some to conclude there was maybe some flexibility in Fed policy, just a bit dovish, though Evans, of course, did say that the Fed did say he sees the Fed raising rates to four and a half to four and three quarters and staying there for some time.
1: Evans also said something to the effect, Steve, of there being a premium to waiting and seeing, I think is the, the words he used, a premium I know is, is the exact word that he used in relationship to seeing what the impact of the tightening is. And I feel like, you know, just, you know, a week ago, Jeremy Siegel, maybe it was two weeks ago, Jeremy Siegel was saying that, that Fed speak was monolithic. And I feel like, oh, all of a sudden, Brainerd and Evans today, even cracking the door just a little bit to the idea that there could be, um, you know, an observation period for the Fed.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to get a bead, Melissa, I hear what you're saying. And and it was also, by the way, the question I asked Powell uh, that I don't necessarily... He did say, yeah, there would be one, but not at this level. So what I'm trying to figure out, Melissa, is what is the level of the observation period, so to speak? Um, Evan seemed to think we, he's going to put the go, go the full Monty on this, the four and a half to four and three quarters. Not quite sure about Brainerd. I think you're right to read in the idea that maybe she has a little more flexibility, Personally, my take is is I could see the idea of getting a four stuff and stuff and finishing off the year the way you said you would, but maybe having some, some observation period depends, I think, on what they see in markets and the liquidity story there, Melissa. If indeed, uh, you, you saw what happened in Europe today. I don't know that that's necessarily has a relationship. I'm actually watching for, uh, I guess, the bond, the futures will open at 6 o'clock. But you had 20 and 30 basis point increases in the long ends in U.K. and Europe, and that is not something that... Uh, I think causes calm among people.
4: Steve, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Is it possible that the Fed's North Star is really positive interest rates, positive real rates, I should say, and that that would guide oh, yeah. them?
0: No, uh, okay. uh, Evan said that right out. He said he wants to get to a 2% real rate. Uh, that's what he said. So how do you break that down? Well, you have to have a, I don't know, a 2.5% underlying inflation rate. If you're going to go to 45 that would be 2% real. He said that is average for the kind of restrictive level that the Fed has had in previous uh, uh, tightening cycles. So uh, that's what he said. That is for sure. And by the way, Brainerd commented today that she sees uh, 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 rates along the spectrum as being uh, a positive right now. So that's definitely something they're aiming for, not just positive, Karen, but restrictive on top of that.
1: Guy, I know you got thoughts on this. Um, The Fed is really good at putting something out there, but also... Giving you enough information to maybe double to think twice about what they actually said, and I feel like that's what Steve is saying in terms of Charlie Evans specifically when he says going all the way up to four and a half, four and three quarters percent, but still saying, oh, you know what? There there may be some value to observing what the full impact is.
6: Now, listen, I will say that over the last since November, I think they've done a magnificent job of telling people, telling the market exactly. What their game plan is, whether or not the market is listening along the way, that's the market's problem. But they've done a wonderful job in terms of taking notice of things. Steve makes a great point. And I'm glad he made it. Bond market volatility, which is something we have talked about literally for the last two years. I think it's something that's front and center and something they should watch because I would submit and probably incorrectly. But bond markets shouldn't move the way they're moving. Now, maybe it's just the road to price discovery coming off of 13 years of free money. Maybe that's the pain that we have to feel, but 30 basis point move in developed market uh, economies and in, in bond markets, it doesn't make any, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and it suggests that there's some cracks uh, under the surface.
1: All right, um, Steve, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much, Steve Leisman. Coming up, a big red light for some auto stocks, downgrades and recalls, hitting some of the major players will kick the tires on that trade next, plus two staple stocks on the move today. What analysts say is daunting about the group. More on that ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. UBS downgrading Ford to sell from neutral, cutting GM to a neutral from buy. The analyst citing demand destruction and a rapid shift to oversupply in the industry. That was fast, <laughs> Courtney. What do you make? I mean, the stocks have been trading terribly for a while now.
5: They have. Yeah, I mean, I do think their valuations are, are significantly lower than their historicals, and I do think it's it's, if anything, I would say an opportunity. I found this pretty um, severe, I would say. I mean, we're still in this period where people can't get enough cars, are still having to buy used cars. All the you who haven't buying cars last year are used cars. They're going to have to get a newer car sooner than then. But yes, I think there is going to be some sort of pullback here as you are, seeing interest rates rising, and so people are going to be able to afford less car. But I think it's the same idea with housing here, where it's pushing this demand down the line. I don't see the severe demand destruction. I thought this was actually a little bit more pessimistic than I was expecting to see.
1: Well, I mean, hopefully people still be able to afford cars by the time the cars are available. I mean, I think that, that's sort of one issue, Karen, that yes. we're dealing with in terms of thinking about how the consumer is facing inflation and all the other rising costs.
4: Right, including auto uh, financing. Yeah. Right. So that's one and gas and, and whatnot. But there, there was a few positives, mostly negatives, though. They talked also about uh, GM finance, which has really had a nice benefit of terminal value of cars being so much higher as they get back from le- uh, uh, off lease. But I think that it does seem to me to be a bit overdone. I think the stock clearly isn't reflect- reflecting a very robust return. I think we're going to see good inventory development from the third quarter production. That'll be good. I do think the buyers in the short term are still there for those very high margin cars. But I am concerned about that, um, not having a lot of follow through into next year. Guy. GM and/or Ford Mel. value trade or value trap.
6: <laughs> it's interesting. First of all, I've been dead wrong in these. Let's just get it out there, a hundred percent ago, literally in Ford. And this is—I'm talking to myself. You could have made the valuation argument, and it would have been a good argument. And and there was a point where we all looked like geniuses in Ford when the stock doubled from 14 to 28. And here we are round trip. They're value traps and they've been value traps and they will continue to be. Uh, Doesn't seem to be capitulation at all. And I'm not suggesting we go down to 2020 levels that we saw in GM, which I think was 24. But look, there still seems to be some downside. Think about UBS to make a call like this in this environment, given what we've seen in the broader market, given how miserable these stocks have been for them to make a call like that. They didn't do it uh, half hearted, let's say I'm choosing to use that word instead of the uh, negative words so they obviously came come to Jesus moment and they're making this call I will say this AutoNation which hung in there today through 98 and AutoNation and the
3: party's over then you have to really start looking at the entire group much differently Yeah, I would just say that this is kind of ground zero for what Jamie Dimon is saying, that next 1% in Fed funds is going to be painful, and it's going to be painful for companies like this that have actually been dying to build inventory for demand that they thought existed after the supply chain issues, um, you know, and a whole host of other things related to the pandemic. And now all of a sudden you find yourself with the Fed raising interest rates at the fastest clip they've done in 40 plus years. And we don't know as an economy how to deal with a stagflationary environment. So when you think about to your question, because I'm going to play your game and ask me to, is value trade or value trap? In this environment, it's clearly a value trap. And I'm not saying that if you start buying Ford at 11, understanding that it's going to be a hat-sized guy. What are you, seven and three-eighths or something like that? Maybe it goes down that way in a further bear market or recession. But again, these stocks are probably going lower for all those reasons. All
1: right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
2: Consumer calls. Even some tried and true staple stocks giving analysts worry. But are there still gains to be found? The names they're eyeing next. Plus, semi-slump. Restrictions on China chips, sending the group to its lowest level in nearly two years. So will semi-stocks keep getting zapped? The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market Site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman Sachs putting out a double dose of calls on consumer staples names. Analysts growing cautious on the sector, saying relative valuations look daunting. Procter & Gamble getting downgraded to a neutral from a buy. Goldman pointed to private labels, taking over market share in some categories. FX headwinds pushing sales forecasts lower. On the flip side, Goldman upgraded Kraft Heinz to a buy, calling it one of the few staple names where upside hasn't been priced in. Analysts seeing strong pricing the food category, less exposure to Europe favoring the stock, one would think, uh, Guy, if consumers are making hard choices, that they are trading down, that they are going for the lower priced, you know, generic store name brand kind of thing.
6: That's always been my Ballywick, Melms, but, you know, that's probably neither here nor there. I love the Procter & Gamma call. I think it's late. We've been talking about it being an expensive stock for quite some time. I mean, not to cast aspersions, as they say, but it, it's Zenith at 165. You're talking about a stock that was trading close to 28 times forward earnings with about maybe 8% EPS growth. Made no sense then. Now at least it trades closer to a market multiple, what, slightly below 20. But it's still rich given their EPS growth. So I still think there's room to the downside despite the large move we've seen. And Kraft Heinz, look, my sense is they probably had to upgrade one and to downgrade one. And Kraft Heinz is as good as anything else. But I love the Procter & Gamble downgrade.
4: Kind of like a would-you-rather, but I see it sort of it as a, pair tr- totally. a pairs trade. Yeah. Because I do like the, the valuation differential is very big, and I think that um, probably more for the P&G side being too expensive, Kraft is attractive, but I think the two of them together make a little sandwich, hopefully make money in between. Sandwich. Yes. Who does have the stronger pricing here.
1: I mean, I guess this all goes back to this whole notion of value trade or value trap. Valuations alone don't tell you if it's... A good buyer not a good buy okay. here, here, here's
3: the good news all right so somebody who's kind of we've all been around the markets for a little bit and so this was like a safety trade like people like these things like they liked them they outperformed during the pandemic and they probably traded okay in the beginning of the part of the year and then at some point they just gave up right And now you're seeing analysts downgrade a stock like Proctor right which is a widely name. it's got a dividend yield it's got a you know that's good from a sentiment standpoint because like when a lot of these strategists or analysts are holding on to these names it means that there's like this false sense of security in, in some of them. So again, you know, I, I think that this goes along with Bank of America lowering next year's EPS estimate to uh, a level that none of us thought that we started this year where S&P earnings were going to be. And this is how we get there. So to me, I think this is actually constructive if you're trying to find how do we bottom at some point late this year, early next.
1: Although in this world, I mean, Courtney, for instance, would you choose I guess this is a would-you-rather. Um, would a name choose? like a, a, very similar. A, a Clorox versus an apple. I mean, a Clorox is a higher valuation than an apple. But in this environment, you might want to pay up for a Clorox versus holding an apple. I don't know.
5: What would you choose? Clorox versus an apple. Wow, you're you're throwing, <laughs> throwing two other names at me. Um, I do think that you are starting to see, um, I'm normally not looking at your like big tech stocks. Actually, Apple has become a lot cheaper here. I mean, I do like the fact that they are in a good position, I think, to weather out some downturn in the economy here because they have so much cash on their balance sheets. And that has been really a good bellwether of if, the, if Apple recovers, I think that the overall stock markets might, and it is a big portion of that. So I would actually lean towards an Apple here.
1: I'm going to ask Guy this. I'm just curious, <laughs> just quickly, Guy, Clorox or Apple? <laughs> Clorox is like 30. Yeah.
6: I'll take Clorox every day. As you know, I use the Clorox wipes to take my makeup off, number one. Don't <laughs> at me on Twitter. I know that's not a good thing. Not that it matters, but Clorox almost been cut in half since the summer of 2020. Again, doesn't matter where it was, but just to point that out. And, yeah, valuation is expensive, but it's a tradable thing right now. I think the, the hard work's been done in Clorox to the downside. I think the work is just beginning in Apple. So in your game of Clorox Apple, which, by the way, those two stocks have never been mentioned in the same sentence here at CNBC's <laughs> Fast Money, I'll take CLX.
1: I try and push the envelope here. <laughs> Coming up, chips getting crunched. New restrictions out of the White House, sending semis lower. The impact it will have on the space going forward and bottoms away. Bitcoin and the ARK Innovation ETF down more than 60% this year. But is there another big drop on the horizon? We're hitting the charts when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on how stocks close out the day. All three indices dropping to kick off the week, posting their fourth negative session in a row. The Dow falling 93 points while the S&P dropped three quarters of a percent. The tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the losses with more than one percent drop. One sector getting hit hard today, the semis. U.S. chip makers NVIDIA and AMD tumbling after the U.S. ramped up its chip export rules on Friday. China over the weekend calling the move abuse. Taiwan signaling that it will follow the U.S. rules. And on Taiwan's National Day, President Tsai doubled down on Taiwan's sovereignty, saying there is no room for compromise on this issue. Here to break down all of this is CNBC contributor Dwardrick McNeil. He is Longview Global senior policy analyst and managing director. Dwardrick, great to have you with us.
2: Thanks for having me, Melissa.
1: Isn't something called the People's Congress happening soon? I mean, the timing of this is very interesting, <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, I've I've had a couple conversations about timing, Melissa, and I promise you it's coincidental. Uh, To your point, we have the National, we have the Communist Party's 20-party Congress coming up on Sunday. We have National Day today in Taiwan, 1010, and, of course, these announcements on Friday. But all of this, uh, unfortunately, is crammed together, but it's completely coincidental.
1: What do you think Beijing's um, next move is? retaliation look
2: yeah you know they're going to find a way to hit back Melissa we don't know exactly when or how they would do that it's hard to see how they can harm us uh, symmetrically in the semiconductor space but there are other ways in which China has leverage and they and we may see them do this but I just you know I just want to step back for a minute and say this has been foreshadowed by the Biden administration for a very long time the Biden administration has been concerned about how these high-end chips are being used to help modernize China's military, and China is aware that this was coming. That's why they've been shoveling money into trying to develop their own semiconductor high-end chip sector to no avail at this point. So this, this shouldn't surprise anyone uh, that has happened because the, the Biden administration has been foreshadowing this for a very long time.
1: Well, they just, that means that China just had much longer to think about ways to retaliate. <laughs> I mean, I hate to put it that way, but I mean, in term, they, they might not be able to hit that symmetrically when it comes specifically to chips, but there are so many other ways. So in your view, what is, what is at risk because of this?
2: Well, I think in the, in the near term, uh, Melissa, the, the real pressure, I think, falls on Taiwan. You noted in the beginning that Taiwan announced this weekend that ministry of economy said that they're going to follow this rule that's significant given that tsmc is this is the the uh, juggernaut here in this space but uh, we're going to have to see on this side if the administration certainly congress will want the administration to push our friends and allies more the dutch uh, the south koreans the japanese all have companies that can help china develop uh, its space so the administration is going to have to get more than a moral and a verbal commitment from these countries you know ASML from, uh, f- from the Dutch side, uh, SK, uh, uh, Hynix, and Samsung from North Korea, uh, from, sorry, from South Korea, uh, and Tokyo uh, Electron from Japan. All of these companies are going to have to do more if the goal here is to really deny this technology to China.
6: You know, I'm a huge fan of your work. I mean, talk about leverage. They have it, China has it in spades in terms of what they own in terms of our bond market and stuff. And if you're a country that's willing to lose battles in order to win wars, should we be focused on that? Because quite frankly, the move in developed country bond markets are startling.
2: Well, you know, I'm not a trader, so I can't speak to bond markets. But what I can tell you is that you're right to think about asymmetric ways in which China can respond to this. Again, there's not much they can do at the moment in the semiconductor space. But there are places where there's a lot of leverage and China's likely going to be looking for ways to hit back. I I would say we're going to get beyond the party Congress for sure. There's not much that I expect in the near term. Uh, But over the longer period, uh, China will try and find ways to express uh, their displeasure with this.
1: DeWordrick, thank you. Always great to get your commentary, DeWordrick McNeil of Longview. Um, I was talking to a chip analyst, uh, Chris Rowland today on Power lunch, Uh, and and Dan, you know he he was saying how it's so difficult to pin down the exact impact on this sector because we don't know how how hard the Biden administration is going to be when it comes to implementing. any of this in terms of enforcement. It's very Uh, difficult to enforce some of these things.
3: Listen, you know, the Biden administration did not strip some of those Trump, um, you you know, uh, the the, the trade uh, restrictions. So I think they're going to see this thing out. I think this is actually really important, especially when you think about how many different ways that we actually, where Guy just said leverage, I would say leverage, like the leverage that we have. This is a really important one. Just say this about some of the stocks that were affected when the rumors came out about this. Remember NVIDIA had a leg down here. And we know that AMD just uh, reported last week, really bad revenue guide pre-announcement here. You know, one of the things I hope they can pull up an NVIDIA chart from the first, the first week <laughs> of October to the last week of November last year, that stock gained 75 percent. OK, in a straight line. Yeah. And I'll just say this is on investors. It's not on any administration. It's not on the company's guidance. It's right. not on this that, or whatever. And I'm just saying so this stock's now down 70 percent. It will find a home. It will overshoot to the downside the way it overshot to the upside last year.
1: I mean, some people were saying that maybe semis have been de risked because we've seen such a fall. I mean, the SMH is down, to, what, 20 plus percent since recent highs. And so some would say, well, maybe this is all in the stocks, Courtney. And yet here we are. And we take a look at how Nvidia and AMD specifically traded. It traded again today on basically the same news. And yes, the rules are now codified, they're maybe stricter than we thought. But still, the notion that these export restrictions are going to hit revenue, we knew that was coming.
5: Yeah, and I, that's the hard thing, right, is like even on Friday when we saw AMD go lower, this is on news we already knew that PC sales were slowing down and demand deterioration is a problem with these chip sectors. So, um, yes, I think we're starting to see these maybe starting to get priced in here. I mean, they are starting to get really attractive valuations, but um, they're trading lower on news that we already knew about. So that's the question is, can we continue to see that? Um, I don't know what that news would be, in all honesty. So that's what makes me think, yes, maybe it's worth an opportunity. But I would have said this last week, too, and we just keep having news lower. So
4: AMD actually, I thought, hung in there pretty well. It started That's off right. the day very badly. And then it seemed to, you know, find some footing. And it. it sort of makes me wonder, all right, is, is, I mean, this is a lot cheaper than NVIDIA. Um, okay. And so if I would rather, which I know you didn't what ask. Would you rather, but I, I would permit that. I, to, to I, too. Okay, thank you. I did see that interview today, though. He was very good. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I thought, oh, I know her. when I saw. <laughs> anyway, I, I would be long AMD.
1: Coming up, Dear Jerome, ARC's Kathy Wood pending an open letter to the Fed, laying out all the mistakes she thinks the central bank has made is Wood's warning warranted here. We'll dig into that next. And throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's our own Courtney Garcia.
5: My grandfather immigrated to the U.S. speaking only Spanish in hopes of obtaining a better life for his family. Two generations on, I'm happy to report that he achieved those goals. What made that possible was a strong work ethic, knowing the value of a dollar, and savings, all things that were instilled upon me at a very young age. As I now look to instill those same values upon my own children, peers, and clients, I also wanna stress the importance of investing and making sure that your money is working just as hard as you are to ultimately create generational wealth for your family for years to come.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The chartmaster issuing a warning on two of the most speculative securities in the market, Bitcoin and Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF. The two charts look very similar over the last year and they don't look good. Carter says that he sees more downside in both coming, quote unquote, immediately. Meanwhile, ARK's Kathy Wood writing an open letter to the Federal Reserve today urging the central bank to reconsider further rate hikes or risk a, quote, deflationary bust. Well, the action and the uh, options in the ARK Innovation Fund also pointing to fresh lows ahead for that ETF. Mike Coe is here to break it down. Mike.
8: Yeah, we saw 1.4 times the average daily options volume in the ARK ETF. It traded over 200,000 contracts. It was the ninth busiest ETF option today. The trade that caught my eye was a purchase of the October 32 puts. We saw a buyer pay 45 cents a contract for 3,300 contracts. And what's notable about this trade was not its size. There were a lot of big trades in ARC today, but actually the severity of the move they're anticipating. These options expire a week from Friday. And in order to be profitable, the ARC ETF would need to decline more than 13% from where it closed today.
1: Wow. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts, Dan, on Kathy Wood's letter in conjunction with Carter's call, because it does seem like she is asking the Fed. To- I mean, this would obviously help yeah. her fund tremendously if they stopped hiking rates.
3: Well, here's the thing, right? So she keeps doing that. That's been her stance all year long. So she felt that way when they were coming off a zero interest rate bound, right? And so she keeps doing it now when we're going to get above 4% after the next meeting or in and around there. And so, again, yeah, do her stocks need it? But here's the thing. If you look at the ARC Innovation ETF and you look at the holdings other than Tesla, which is the largest, about 9%, it's like the island of misfit tech toys. They're just like these, these stocks may never come back you know they may go up 100, 200 percent but they're never going to have meaningful market caps they're never going to have the kind of innovative spirit or the product like you know I mean just the product imagination that they had five years ago when she put them in here so to me the product makes no sense and I just don't really see it's it just spark it just speaks of desperation I think at this point the open letter
1: I mean, also, you know, it's a different rate environment. It's a different yeah. just environment in general. And, and some of these things just do not look as innovative anymore, right. Karen.
4: But to your point about rates, I think that's yeah. actually the central issue if you're innovative stuff that doesn't make money yet, but will right. in the future, and you have to She's discount like, that back. Stop doing right. what you're doing because it's so hurting the, me so very badly. DCF looks much better. Yeah. Yes. I think if you overlay, we've had ARC and then... Um, what was the other one we had on? T- Bitcoin. Bitcoin. And then I think if you put bonds over the bond prices, it would mirror that as well. Hmm. Yeah. Corny?
5: Yeah, and I, I do think um, you look at all of her top holdings, right? And they're the cheapest one here is Zoom, which is at 20 times forward earnings. Uh, but even then, that's really not very cheap. And all of these companies are going to be in this position where even if the Fed does stop raising interest rates and even if that does start to peak here, I don't think rates are going to come down as much as they were over the last decade. And so they're still going to be at this helm where they're facing higher rates and likely not going to continue to outperform the market. So this is absolutely not something that I, I'd be chasing right now.
1: Guy, what's your take on Ms. Wood these days? Indulge me. Did you happen to watch the Met game last night, Melms? You know, I know the answer. Zero shot of that, so no. <laughs>
6: yeah, well, in the sixth, in the sixth inning, Buck Show Walter walked out of his dugout and asked the umpires to check the pitcher for the Padres, who was just basically lighting up the Mets lineup um, in a good way if you're a Padre fan. That move reeked of desperation and it didn't work out for Buck this op-ed reeks of desperation and i don't think it's going to necessarily work out for her and listen not to cast aspersions the second time on this show but it's virtually impossible to be as wrong as that etf has been over the last year or so and you know again the most innovative thing about the arc etf and we i've said this for months is the uh, inverse arc etf which was created because that sucker's been on fire
1: mike Coe, do you have a position on arc short direction uh, i short. don't have
8: a position short on arc if uh, if we could take short positions in our fund we're long only on the fund side i'd be very happy to be shorted so i guess maybe the short arc innovation etf would be the one that i'd take a look at look with respect to rates just bear this in mind she compared the recent rate increases to the one that volker started to impose because she was thinking about it in percentage terms and still the 10 years below four percent we are not in a high rate environment we're not even close to it we're not even back to the mean the last half century. So this is just somebody who's talking their book, and the book is not a good one.
1: Thank you, Mike. We'll see you on Friday. That's when uh, the full show airs. Options Action, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time Fridays. Coming up, a case of the bullion blue. So even if gold can't hold up, where should investors run for cover? We'll discuss the mayhem in the metals market. That's next. Much more Fast Money into. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. FUBU founder and Shark Damon John is joining Jim tonight. Catch the full interview. Top of the hour on Mad Money. All right. Mayhem in the metals market. Gold, platinum, silver all getting crushed today. So much for a safe haven trade. Where should investors hide out? Um, Guy, I know you're going to have this whole thing about hiding out, no hiding out. But still, um, the traditional hedges have not worked.
6: No, so I'll answer part of that question. I think Big Cap Pharma still remains a place to be. I know Dan, Karen, and Courtney agree because they've talked about it. And you look at Merck today, um, that stock on the upgrade traded extraordinarily well. So that's a place, I think, not only can you hide out there, I think you can actually do well there. In terms of gold, when the Bank of England did their little safety dance or whatever they did a couple weeks ago, I was pretty convinced when I saw that headline, gold would be up $100 that day and followed up with a couple great days. Obviously, that didn't happen. So... I don't know what to tell you what gold is i think trying to tell people is this fed is going to be steadfast and they're going to continue to go down this path so when the fed blinks which it will that's going to be the time but it's given no indication and neither does gold so i'm sorry about gold it's been as we call a bit of a widow maker
1: courtney i'm sure that this is particularly vexing for a lot of your clients who are trying to allocate money across asset classes and you're like bonds are the traditional hedge and that totally blew up this year and cash is feeling probably pretty decent
5: now. Yeah. And gold, I think, is one that people always bring up because you assume it's an inflation hedge. Um, It really hasn't been for a while. And if you do have like a broad basket of commodities, those have actually held up a lot better because there are plenty of things that are doing well. Like energy has been a really good hedge against inflation this year. And this has also been one of those things I get people my age are always using Bitcoin and that was supposed to be the hedge against inflation. (laughs) That clearly wasn't either. So I do think you need to make sure you're well diversified. But yes, there are good hedges out there. Healthcare, to guys point, I think, is one of those. I think energy is another one. Um, Gold. Yes, we have a piece of it. It's not something I want to own outright specifically for a hedge. It just hasn't been that for a long time.
4: Yeah. Karen? I've always been confused by gold as yeah. a hedge, right? I just, I never quite got it. And Bitcoin has really not, you would, I mean, I guess you could say, all right, well, the Fed is really hiking and so that's why Bitcoin's doing poorly. I don't really, doesn't feel like that's actually why. Yeah. It feels like it's speculative. There's nothing to anchor the valuation. That's why.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Treasury. So going back to what you're saying. So I think this is a really unique time. I know I've been suggesting to get long in mind long the GOVT, which is an iShares ETF that tracks the U.S. Treasury yields. I think we're going to get to this November meeting. I do think that the Fed is going to actually signal the fact that they're going to slow things down a little bit uh, it, in November. Yes. And I also think that if the economy yeah. gets really bad, I don't know if you saw the Fed whisperer, this Nick Tamores uh-huh. over the weekend in the W uh, in the WSJ, as we call it. Um, you know what I mean? In the Wall Street Journal, he was basically saying some economists are getting worried now, okay, because of the pace of increases, that it's going to do a number on the economy. I just think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see a flight to quality no matter what to treasuries, and you're going to see yields come in. So to me, I think that's a trade that should work over the next three to six months, GOVT.
1: Can you walk us through this GOVT? Because if you're looking at it, you're looking at the chart, and it's down 15% year-to-date, and the yields might
3: be better, but you're This is a cross. So the TLT is the ice share. We talk that a lot. So the 20 year treasury. And so this has two years. It has five years. It has 10. So it's a broader one. And that's why I'm looking at it. I do think that you're not going to see a massive move higher in the 10 year. If you just want to look at that, that's the one that we Mm -hmm. quote a lot. And I just think this is a good cross section. So if I'm getting long GOVT, that means I am uh, bearish on yields. I think yields are going to come in.
1: Up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Zscaler. It's down by 4.5% after hours. The company announcing the resignation of its president after the close of trading today. Shares are already down more than 7% during the regular session. Guy.
6: This was a $375 stock in the fall, and that was up probably from 150 earlier that year. Everybody loved it. I was one of those people. That's when valuations didn't matter. Fed pivoted in November. This stock has gone straight down since. billion market cap. Last I looked, they're going to do $2 billion in revenue. Dan will tell you that's still too expensive in this environment. Remember the song, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go or something like that? Wake me up when it trades at seven times revenues, and we're probably going to get there pretty soon.
1: All right. It is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy, I paused a little bit because I wanted to give you some time to, you know, (laughs) mentally adjust.
6: No, I appreciate that because, you know, I'm not that quick on the uptake. Um, tough night at Shea last night, I apologize. Kroger, inflation hedge, that's your inflation hedge.
4: Karen Fierman. Yeah, Sort of along the same vein as really cheap but somewhat boring. Businesses Going with Walgreens boots, annihilated, very cheap here. Yeah. And you're also in CVS. And CVS, which I am long, painful.
5: Courtney. Uh, we're coming into bank earnings. I do think they've become in, uh, really cheap and uh, attractive here. I think XLF could be a way of playing this to get all of your bank exposure.
3: You know, Mel, we make this look yes, easy, yes. right, the Fast Money? You know what the hardest segment is, is this segment, the final
1: Why trade? is this the hardest segment? Because Did you have to. Re- because
3: right yeah. now in this market, it's really hard to recommend anything. And that's why I was, like, happy to talk about the GOVT, which I think is a safety trade here. So that's what I'm going with right now.
5: All right.
1: Well, thank you all for watching Fast Money. You'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx.